Today's guest is the author of A Manual for Surviving Worst Case Scenarios. Mike Glover, welcome to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. I, I just can't wait to get into this. You know, it, it, Thanks it, for the support. I've, uh, you know, one, I, I thought it was incredible that Jack Carr wrote you this forward. He wrote the book. He did. That's good. I, no wonder I could understand it. Because the other issues that I have with this book are thank you for the support in allowing me to write this book for you, which I think was very nice, but it was written to somebody else. So I don't understand it, nor do I understand your signature here. It appears to be just a a, a one line mm -hmm. of scribbly marks. I have a ghostwriter for that because I have so many books that Good. we're selling. We have to we have to put it out like that. Yeah. Like um, Brenda, one of my employees, yep. is doing it, and you know, unfortunately, that was supposed to be for Evan, not even. Right. Right. Um, but when you're a national bestseller. You have to give and take, you know. National bestseller. That is a national bestseller. That's like that's crazy. That did that's you make the so New York Bobo. Times bestseller list? No, I made Wall Street Journal. Why? Why did you not make the New York Times bestseller? Because it, it seems it seems crazy. Like I, if you, I made the you, numbers. But if you make the numbers, it, it's it's subjective, right? It's 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 not subjective. The New York Times is never biased. Never. Never bias and they that's what facts. i love about them it's just black and white they use facts they do statistics and we currently outsold everybody you did and they decided not to put us on because how know. do you know that like explain to me how how do you know how many books you sold so you can go through book like a basically a book scan to see how many pass-throughs of the metrics um of all mm. books where they're bought because they're they're pushed through distribution through the publisher Right. So publisher could track where they landed, where they were sold through, and that includes Audible and all the versions mm. of it. Um, and I did 26,000 on opening day, when to hit the New York Times bestselling list, you need 10,000. 26,000? Yeah. That's a lot of books, man. I invested uh, $500,000 in buying 25,000 of them, but we sold 1,000 people to real, 1,000 yeah. to real that, people. Well, that's a that's just a good Did you buy the plan. book? No. You... You uh, interesting. You noted. You interesting. Brought this one over. Yeah. So why would I buy the book? Of course. If I don't, if I already have it, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like the, I, like my fanny back. So I did buy the audio book. No, you didn't. I did. I was right. I have my I have my phone. I'll did you listen up. to it? No. Did you, were you I, listening to it when you flipped your truck in the in the back country? <laughs> God, no. I was. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I, I it's such a. Have uh, you listened to one word of that book? No, no. Why? <laughs> I mean, I just want to be honest. Like yeah. I've read parts of this. Have you listened to Jack Carr's book? Which one? Uh, the new one? Yeah, the first one. Or no, no, no. I mean, all of them. Have you listened? Yeah, to I've it? listened to all of them. They're great. Yeah, I. Uh, here's the thing, and this is where I feel like a bad, a really bad friend. Yeah. Is I don't really like you guys, and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I. This is where I feel like a bad friend. So I tried to watch the Terminal List on Amazon. My wife liked it. 
I couldn't do it. You know why? Because they deviated from the book. So yeah. Like when they deviate from the book, I can't watch anything. I feel like I need to. Because you're tracking it along with the story that you read. Correct. Correct. Yes. Oh. And as much as I really enjoy him, yeah. I don't think you should deviate. Not deviate. watching the the entire thing. Now, did I download it? Yes, or whatever it is. Did I buy it on Amazon? Of course, but I didn't watch the entire thing. I think my wife did. Are you doing a book? There's rumors in the publishing world. I am. What do you are? Mm-hmm. What's it on? Just uh, my history. I mean, we have a, we do have a name. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what we're going to lock on, but we do have a name of it. But What's it's, the name? It's What's the name? Mission to Grind. What? Yeah. Mission, mission mission to grind like permission to grind mission oh to grind but mission to grind i don't know i and here's the thing that we're trying to pull together is how do we translate what i've learned in the military what you know essentially what i learned in the military what i did in the cia and then and then what i've done in business the the issue that i have in in business and or doing a book in any of these in any of these scenarios, is I just don't think I have a lot of information to offer outside of like general advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I like books, just you know. Obviously, I, I've I've read a few of them. Uh, you know, I carried a lot of different books over the, the course of my my professional career. There's a lot of different developmental books that have been very inspirational in my life. Hey guys, this summer you could help Black Rifle Coffee and its boot campaign. We are raising $1 million for veterans and all you need to do is drink ready-to-drink coffee. You can find it at your local grocery or convenience store. From now to the end of the year, every can of RTD you drink will contribute to making this massive donation possible. Thanks guys. One is prepared. Um, Tell me about this book, Prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll take me a year. I got, it'll take me over a year. Yeah, I don't think it'd take you a year. It is. That's what I gave myself. Give me oh, you, well, you gave yourself a year, yeah, but it won't take year. you a year. It'll take me a year. It yeah. won't take you a year. Because I'm, I'm just, I, I want to give like very specific examples to why I use the leadership. I, like, oh man, I hate these. I hate all of these people out there talking about, not, not all of them. Some of them have legitimate, good leadership and business advice. They do. Like, but just most of them are influencer idiots that have never really run a business. Isn't it crazy? They don't. They don't uh, know how to run a business. They've never dealt with HR. They've never dealt. With, they've never dealt with payroll. They've never dealt with any of these issues. You know, when you have a thousand employees, there are things that you're going to see that, you know, the 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 small business owner on his way to her, his or her way on the you know, on the way to 20 or 30 or 40 employees. Like, like I saw that stuff. And I think- So that's going to be in the book. Absolutely. Invaluable lessons. Very, very, very specifically things that I've learned that I've used on what I would say is a weekly and monthly uh, turn over the course of the last 10 years. You know, communication is so important, obviously. Uh, You know, how do we communicate? How do we lead? Mm -hmm. How do we manage? There's a big difference between leadership and manage. I, I only believe in- uh, lead by example, right? If I can't do it, or if I'm not willing to do it, mm-hmm. then you know how can I expect somebody else? Mm-mm. No, I yeah. have to be able to do it. Like roasting coffee, I know how to do pressing it. Pressing shirts, 
I know how to do it. All no. the the stuff that everybody else does because you outsource your time. Most people don't know how to do that. No, yeah, and and most people like what I tell people is at the end of the day, you know, I'm a customer service representative, and I work for my customer. Like that's who I work for, and the difference between where I think a lot of we'll call them business managers and owners. There's a difference in those two mentalities. Yeah. Which is when you're an owner and you really believe that you work for your customer, which it's intrinsic to who I am. It's, it's part of my DNA. I do work for my customer. I think when I thank my customer, I actually believe it. Most corporate executives, those are platitudes. That, that is like a, that, that's something they come up with to make their customers feel better, but they don't really believe it. When I open up my refrigerator in the morning, I think, you know, when I'm getting milk for the girls or something like that, most of the time I think, man, how lucky am I to have great customers that they've afforded me the opportunity to have this, like, you know, milk in my refrigerator that goes from my refrigerator into the bowls that, you know, are ultimately going to feed my kids. And when you feel that, when you feel so much profound respect for your customer, you can't fake it. And I think there's a lot of executives that, and, I, and I've met some of them, I've worked with some of them, and I've fired a lot of them, <laughs> that, that they don't feel it, nor do they give a shit. They don't care. Yeah. You know what they care about? They care about? They care about inflating their own egos, or they think about their next promotion, or they think about their bonus. Um, if you keep the company customer-oriented, which is for a lot of founders, it's very hard to do because you have to hire a lot of people most of the time. And it gets, the message can get a little bit murky. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know what, I don't even know. No, what, I, the, what you're about. saying, it, it's, I mean, it's interesting because your first, I mean, Black Rifle Coffee is not your first company. Kind of. Yeah, but even when I knew you, you had other companies. Yeah, my first, my first real company was a preparedness company. What was it called? Ready Man. Yep, and then the other one was something Twist. Yeah, Twist Rate. Yeah, it was a crowdfunding yeah. site for uh, guys that worked for the DoD and in specifically in in areas where they couldn't put things on Kickstarter and maybe they need intellectual property protection, but they needed funding for a device that might make the the that enhance our mission capabilities downrange. That yeah. was my that was my first one. That that was truly the first business. And we I, started doing content. I remember I watched early. content. Yeah, that yeah. Content. yeah, early. Yeah. Straight, I did a uh, instructional videos. Yeah. That really, the instructional videos never did anything. It was the blooper reel that did everything because I was trying to make content. Yeah. And it was just cussing the entire time and like. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll send you that so you can add add some of it, John, to the to the. It was super cool. It was not. I was like wearing a collared shirt. And like a, you were wearing I was a wearing shirt. a collared shirt I, because I was like, hey, I was I was I was fresh off the, fresh off the trail, homie. Like I was like, this is how you teach. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But you were you were also like that's how you taught in the agency, mm-hmm. where you're real, you're formal, professional, but you use humor mm-hmm. to vector people in. I used humor because I have no other uh, means of communicating. I can be serious <laughs> for a very short amount of time before I have to really be just kind of a. a you, I can't remember. You were teaching commo or surveillance or someone in the classes, yeah. and you you were like, you know, this is like, you know, you touch this and you work the mic, something like, you know, you're like your uncle. Oh no, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Yeah. So it was. 
<laughs> this was my uh, this is my standard line because when you're doing one man CQB, yeah. a lot of guys had never done one man like yeah. you know, well, you find you find yourself on a target as one guy. You find you find yourself on a target all the time as one guy. Like yeah. all the time. But you never really trained to it. Never. So Just so weird. My whole thing with like starting from one just starting from one man and then you evolve to two, three, four. So you start to move from the, the single man element because you need to know what to do in that circumstance, which I, I didn't quite understand why the mill was never like teaching that because they, so they're like, weird. you know, you need two, you need two. And Support. It's like, but, but what if, what if I don't have to? Yeah. And in combat, you never, you routinely don't have to. You Routinely. The first target I was ever on, I was on the roof by myself. And I was like, what the fuck do I do now, mate? You're like, yeah. Yeah. Support. So, yeah, support. Well, everybody's fucking busy, man. We got we got stuff yeah, to do. You gotta make it happen. And uh so my my whole thing that I had kind of evolved into from the agency and a few other guys that were very, I think, very specifically um involved in the developmental aspects of that were Direct Action Resource Center, which is in just north of yeah. uh, Little Rock. And then they would teach one, two, three, four, and then you'd evolve into, um, uh, you know, multiple element. Because you went there CQB. to get research or to like to start just, looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. start doing it because nobody else was doing one man. Yeah. Like, nobody was doing one man. So doing one man, and this was my joke. I was like, doing a one man room clear is going to feel really weird. Kind of like so kissing weird. your uncle. At first, it's going to be <laughs> strange. But then you might get used to it. Yeah. That, like, that yeah. was my joke. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember like half the class because we were all like senior guys. Yeah. Half the class would be like just stoic and just yeah. not say a word. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of us were like rolling. Just like, yeah, that's funny. That was like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like sometimes it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's a bit, but that's the community just in general, right? Oh, dude. I mean, everybody takes himself so seriously. Oh my God, man. So seriously. Like, well, I did it. I did a view with John with, with GBRS. We did that together, right? Single man CQB. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and everybody's like, man, I know oh, I saw it. it's like, Hey guys, um, this isn't just like me making shit up. This is literally what will save your life when you're by yourself or don't pay attention to the tactics and then think you're a, 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 a guy who has a SWAT team at your disposal. Mm -hmm. I mean, Honey, can you provide support? Wife ain't going to support you in CQB. I'm sorry. I mean, if she squared away, maybe, she would. But maybe, like, it's like that's what you have to do. And for some reason, those nuances. I mean, you you identified that probably early on in your career as a in the business form as an entrepreneur. Well, just from the CQB perspective, you know, as you're as you're starting to look for work, and it definitely is a is a one man. You don't need, and, and this was the whole, the whole thing. You had, you, you, if you had multiple different people, you were collapsing your sector of fire, and ultimately what you're doing is you're clearing things that really you didn't need to clear. You just didn't. Yeah, there's you, a bookcase. You're staring at it. You, you don't you need to stick your gun in it. Walking in that direction or whatever. And and honestly, there's a there's a time and place for all of that. There, yeah. there truly is. There's a time and place for all of that. But once you've evolved, as what I would say is into more of the professional evolution of the gunfighter, specifically from you know CQB circumstance, and then you've gone into what I would say is multiple hundreds of targets, and you've got maybe thousands of iterations of repetition, you start realizing, okay, I don't have to be in this exact position all the time, nor do I have to 
collapse my sector of fire and hold on that fucking door. Because really, if my back is to an open space, and that's the most probable, statistical probability of threat. So what? Like when people were talking to me early on, or when I was, sorry, when I would talk to people, it's like it's, statistical probability of threat is actually a, a term I coined. So most people don't even understand. Like I was beating the drum so early for one man CQB and I, it, it, that probably one of the first guys to ever do it in the context of like, hey, this is the way you need to train. You need to start learning. When you start learning CQB, you learn doing one man. You know why? Because even if you're on a big target with lots of dudes, you are going to find yourself alone. It is 100%. Like, I don't fucking care who you are. Like, you're going to find yourself alone. So why not learn how to do that first? Then you progress into two, three, four, you know, squad, platoon, whatever, troop, however you want to do it. It just didn't make sense to me. So that's why when I went back, started really beating the drum for one man, dude, you want to talk about, you You think that YouTube is spicy. Man, this fucking community is spicy. Like you'd have dudes, we don't do it at SD6 like that. We don't do it at CAG like that. We don't do it at, you know, uh, you know, SF and Ranger Battalion everywhere. Like nobody did it. So everybody was like, fuck you. Like no way. And then guys that got it, they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I totally understand." What and you're we're doing. by our we're by ourselves. You might, we don't have a team of guys. I got like a Glock 17 in my waistband in the middle of Yemen. Like, what am I supposed to do? You got and you got to have a tool. You got to you got to you got to do something. And, and I always thought collectively, it's like IMT, individual movement tactics. You don't do the battle drill first. You you don't do the collective task first. You do the individual movement tactic or that's, technique. That's exactly the way that I thought about it because I thought about it like FM7-8 and as you're starting to look at like individual movement tactics and then the crawl, rock, run from what you're doing from an infantry soldier all yeah. the way through, you start learning how to do this by yourself. Yeah. I'm so a, why did we start me, doing CQB? With two guys, it's like you just fucking magically appear on a target with two guys, and you know. And but I started learning it, and I started learning it as four. Actually, no, probably two. But, but, two, yeah, yeah, two, two, and then you progress, yeah, right? But you never learn one, never. And that never made. I, I shouldn't say it never made sense to me because I just did whatever I was told. But later in my career, it's like this doesn't make sense, man. I got, I got to learn how to do this by myself. I had an eighteen Bravo, a senior eighteen Bravo in the SIF company in B two three who came from C-11, from mm -hmm. Okinawa. Mm -hmm. His name was Will Lancaster. I think to this day, he's the best A-Team Bravo that I've ever seen because he cared about the mission set. He grew up in Oki, and he did a lot of rotations to the Philippines. And Will, for the first time, we were at Aberdeen Training Facility, which is now owned by, I think, the Air Force owns yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. ATF, out, out past the CAD compound. And we were out there doing training, and we were we were with 160th. We were fast roping on targets and doing stuff. And it was all just a helo deal. But he said, hey, let's try some stuff. And so he was having us like rope into targets by ourselves, and he would set up targets in all the rooms, right? and we would run it by ourselves. And I remember the first time I did that, not knowing what the hell I was doing, and, and then coming out of it going, dude, what the shit? It's like... When you like when you look back behind you and you're like, hey, tools and tactics, what you got? And everybody's kicking rocks and you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. all right, I guess I'll just make it up. That's what everybody's doing in the military. They're making shit up. Yeah. Because the first targets I hit in Iraq from Afghanistan when I was in the SIF, we breached the door 
And then if there was MAMs in the first room, everybody was getting flex cuffed while the rest of the unit's pushing through. And you'd be like standing out a doorway like, there's nobody coming. Support. Nobody's going to come. Like, i got to clear this room by myself and have no tools or tactics. Like, it, hopefully it was a corner-fed room and you're like, you already had half the room and you just had to dig the, the, dig the point of domination. But if you had any other spaces, I remember the first time you taught me that and I was in the, the, the course and I never, I was like, this is like, this is crazy. I was like, this is, this doesn't make sense. Then we did a sim hit version of it and my gun was retracted. Yeah. And I turned, it was down that long hallway that opened up to the warehouse space. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the hallway mm -hmm. up in the warehouse, I had uh, my person that I was protecting. They, they rolled out to the left and I was retracted and I looked out in the open space and in the darkness, there was a dude. And because my eyes were moving where my guns, my gun was, I had a shooting solution versus seeing him and then reacting with my gun stocked. I had it retracted. And as soon as I saw him, instead of going, let me get the gun on my shoulder and then let me orient my optic, I was like, click, boom. Yeah, yeah. And I started sending them in his direction and then getting the gun into a stocked position and he was already hit. And I was like, oh my God, if I didn't have that tool or tactic, as soon as I broke that corner, we would have all been dead. And that's like, it would have been like, and then I realized, oh, it's about retracting your gun, looking and identifying a threat and having a fair shot versus painting the walls with a gun, you know, barricaded to your body and then hunting frantically because it's very slow to move a gun off your shoulder, right? hunting frantically in 360 degrees of space, which we had, we had 360 at the, at the warehouse mm -hmm. that we trained at. And it just made it made total sense. And then trying to convey that to anybody, oh, unless they actually do it. They, well, and they also have to have the experience and the intelligence to understand what you're yeah. doing because you also keep an open mind. Like you have to keep an open mind. You also have to think about like I've got to be able to I've got to implement this technique at night with NVGs and a laser, right? And the whole thing with this is like, I didn't quite understand why we were constantly going to the shoulder because at night- You never go to shoulder. Never go to shoulder. So I needed a, what I wanted was a technique that would be day or night friendly and that would make, would, would allow me to move. And that's what I needed. I need to be able to fucking move. And if you're one guy, and you got to move from point A to point B. And let's say I've got a lot of real estate to cover. <laughs> and I, you, you like, you know, welding that thing to your shoulder and moving across, you know, we'll call it a really complex objective to, uh, to do link up procedures also with somebody that might only be one guy when you're in the middle of a fucking gunfight. Dude, I need to move. Yeah. Like I, I you're weighing speed over. Yeah. Speed security. is your security. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's a trade off that you're constantly doing, especially by yourself. Like that's what I, kept so you started about. that whole program. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And which is interesting is that program is now taught to a, a lot of operators in, I mean, everybody who's in the field in high risk environments knows that tactic and technique and swears by it and they've adopted it. They've adopted it. I, that like then, uh, I'm 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 sure there's probably a lot of people that would say that that's that's theirs. They came up with that, but ultimately that was it was yeah. mine. I, I I had to force feed that pretty. Well, I remember you teaching it as the primary, and I remember yeah. the dev guys. It's funny. One of the who's the tall like country bumpkin dude? 
Um, and will I say that on the podcast? Sure. Yeah. Um, he's like a tall uh, right. Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. and he was on the Bin Laden raid. Yeah, yeah. And and he was part one of the instructors, yeah, yeah. but he he took a step back like when you came in because he was like head of CQB. He took right. a step back, and then you did the thing. And it's funny, I went in there and I was like, "Hey, are you a are you a Navy SEAL?" And he's like, "Yeah. How'd, how'd you know?" I was like, "Oh, I saw your license plate on your truck." <laughs> That's right. Because he has the, he has yeah, the Silver yeah. Star license plate with the thing. I was like, were you yeah, on the Bin Laden was, raid? That was, uh, He's like, yeah. How'd yeah. you know that? I was like, oh, I saw your Silver Star your... thing. I figured everybody got a Silver Star. No, that was, so he was on Robert's, great dude. He was on Robert's Ridge. That, yeah, great that, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great dude. dude. Yeah. And anyway, like enough about me. More, more Let's talk about, about this you. book. Let's talk about prepared. prepared. So how prepared were you? How prepared were you to roll off the side of a cliff recently? Because that was a point of contention. Um, I wasn't really, uh, I mean, I, I had, well, my daughter and I had just got done swimming. So we'd driven the truck down into this like uh, fairly steep area where we were just swimming in the river and hanging out. And, uh, uh, I just got a new camper. So we were out for the weekend, just my nine-year-old and I just kicking it. And, uh, we got bolted in. So we got in, put on our seatbelts and started going up going up the grade and to be fair i mean there's two things right which is i was going around a blind corner and the only thing i could think of that entire weekend because it was going into july 4th and i kept thinking about blind corners and then on tvs or something yeah Yeah. dude because we left well we left one area uh we were up in northern idaho and there's a lot of people up there i was like we got to get out of here because like yeah i I don't i don't want to get hit and i've actually witnessed two fatalities up there just in the last 10 years wow when she was still in her in her in her mommy's stomach she was i think my wife was uh about six months pregnant and i was the first to respond to a rollover fatality utv uh no it was a truck so same thing soft corner guy came around hit a bunch of people in back and um and he rolled it he rolled it off into the river and then the there was a woman in the back of the vehicle. She had her had her head crushed basically, and uh, her daughter and her husband they were with her, and so I was the first one on on scene. So I, I was pretty Oof. very That's conscious rough. as to hey, there's there's people up here. This is Fourth of July, a lot of alcohol. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I took her to a different place, and that place is a little bit uh, sketchy. We'll call it on remote. the road. Yeah, it's a little bit more remote, and it had a wash a couple maybe last season where there was a lot of really soft gravel in some of those corners. Hey guys, now's your chance to win the ultimate bass cat boat giveaway. One lucky winner will go home with a fully rigged custom wrap bass cat cougar plus a year's supply of Black Ruffle coffee. You'll also win tackle, fishing gear, and gear from brands like Oakley, Rapala. Hummingbird, and more. Winners also get $10,000 in cash prize, bringing the total retail value over $101,000. One winner will randomly be chosen in September, so enter now to win a -a once-in-a-lifetime ultimate fishing giveaway. And there was a big pile of dirt that had come off the, the, um, the road, and it was covering about half the other, the gravel road on a blind corner. I went out on the right side, and the, the gravel gave away. And I, so the rear, rear, yeah, the rear, right, right rear just slipped out from under me, man. And, uh, to be fair, 
I mean, I've, I, I rolled a vehicle in Afghanistan several years ago. I didn't give a fine fuck. <laughs> like, it didn't bother me at all. Like, this is this is like different when you roll when you baby yeah. girls in there. You roll you roll somebody you roll in the vehicle with somebody that you really care about, like more deeply than any other yeah you know emotion that you might have or ever feel in your life. And I didn't quite I didn't understand like I, because you what the fuck you know like like the road yeah just literally peeled out you had no me. control in that situation no because even if i turn left to to bring it back it it's already gone it's like gone, the road's yeah. going so, so the rear fell yeah. down and then it rolled over yeah how many full rotations just one one full and a half so you it went uh rooftop back up on it again and then on its side yeah on its side. oh my god so what, what was your reaction with um with your daughter, did you? What was your I instinct? I reached over and grabbed her and pinned her to the seat. Yeah. As we were rolling, my my hand was like pinning her to the seat, and then it stopped, and it was, "Are you okay?" Yes. She's you know obviously conscious and and like five five right. I got like she's alert oriented like everything's good. I'm like all right, we got to get out of here because I don't know if it's gonna go over again. Yeah. So did your pupils dilate? And I can imagine like the surge of like trying to save her because you're thinking yeah. worst case your your uh, primal instincts are to to save her. Mm -hmm. Were you hyper aware? Oh yeah. 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 And yeah. I imagine like you were focused and you could feel the revolutions. Like oh yeah. Yeah. You could you could I I I could tell you like I I, I remember that in, that entire thing like pinning yeah. her to the side and then watching us roll. And looking at her, looking out, looking at her, just going back and forth between the two. Mm. And then when we stopped, it was get her out of her seatbelt, get me out of my seatbelt because like I'm getting me out of my seatbelt and I fall down. Mm. And then I push her back up out of the driver's side and uh, yep. we get out, but we just got done swimming. So we didn't have any shoes on. We didn't have any shoes on. We didn't have, we were wet, like nothing. And well, now I get her, get her back up on the road and I'm like, shit, I don't have shoes. I don't have, I don't have shoes on. I don't, I don't have anything. I'm like, yeah. I got to go back down and get my phone. Cause like, that's the only way that we're going to be able to get out of here. And so I climbed back down and it was a, it was a fairly aggressive ledge. So like, it I did, did it down. stop? Did something stop you from going over and over, over again? Yeah. It's like a series of like trees and brush basically yeah like scrub oak yeah. mm -hmm. if that didn't stop you how far would you roll down maybe one more oh okay yeah to the bottom yeah wow dude so any any to... lessons learned like anything that you would do yeah to yeah well one you know complacency is a real thing right and if i would have been paying attention to surface yeah just surface yeah. like just and trust me when i say this like 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 you know you if you're not driving on those roads on a regular turn, you kind of forget where you are. Yeah. And not only do you forget where you are, you start getting a little bit more like I'm, I'm very confident and competent person in the way that I, you know, navigate vehicles. Like, you know, I got winches and fucking jacks and you know, like I got it all. And, um, if you're not, you know, what's that thing? Stay alert, stay alive. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah. and even with, you know, kids and family members, like I, I haven't had a drink in like 
probably a year, right? Yeah. So like same. St- I've been drinking a lot. Stone time. cold, sober. In in all regards, right? It's like I had like a gallon of coffee that day. Like it, it's not as if I wasn't paying attention. It was like, man, I, I wasn't paying attention to the circumstance. Like I was paying attention to my daughter. I was paying attention to oncoming traffic. I was paying attention to all of these different things. I didn't plug in all the variables. I wasn't looking at the surface of the road. When I went out a little bit too far on the right-hand side because the dirt had come out, I was like just entrusting that, you know, there was going to be a hard pack surface all the way through. And there's just things that you take for granted. Like, you know, one, you're, you know, confident, confidence at times builds complacency. Mm. And if you're not plugging in all the variables, like it can bite you in the ass. And honestly, like we both walked out of there without a scratch on us, like not a scratch on us. Pretty lucky. No, yeah, hundred percent. Like we were very, very lucky. And now, like now, I have a lot of like I got I got to build back, you know, trust with with my daughter. I've got to build back trust in the context of like I can't make this be a black mark in her memory for the mountains, right? Because you yeah. want her to be out and about and confident in what she's doing, and you can't. Like we were driving up the canyon to go up right into um, a total archery challenge the other the other day. Yeah, and I could see it on her face. I was like, "Ah, you all right?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." I'm like, oh, okay. God, does that break your heart? Yeah, man. So oh. like, there, there's just a lot of things that go into that where you got to be you got to be careful. Like, I, I just, obviously, I just did a podcast on uh, Mike Force, and, and the title of it I said to John is uh, "Being a Dad Is Rad," and I had a story in it where I talked about, um, like yesterday we, we rescued a bird in the park mm-hmm. that was hung upside down, but, um, similar ish situation where we're doing the fireworks for 4th of July last year, my daughter, she was three and she was terrified this year. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And so I get one of these things that pops things up in the air. Yeah. It falls over just like a just damn like that. Just a like, TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts shooting. And so the first thing I think is, this is crazy, but my son is like there too. And I don't think about my son because I'm like, he could take it. <laughs> I immediately grab Penelope right. and I turn and run. And as I'm running, thinking I'm the preparedness guy, right? Like I prepare for all these things. I'm running and I, I go to put her inside the back of the house, the back door, and I trip on the stairs and she falls and her chest lands on the edge Whoa, of concrete stairs. Gosh. And pun- it doesn't puncture her, but it like puts a scrape and marks her. Yeah. And she's so she I trip, she falls, she's already scared shitless yeah. because of the fireworks. And then she lands and I pick her up and she looks at me like, What did you just do to me? Like, why did you slam me on the ground on the edge of concrete stairs? And then she's like, uh, and then she's crying, and I'm like Dude, I'm like, put me in, in, in a rocket ship to blast me off this planet Earth because of all the wrong I've done. And I just felt so helpless. And I, and I realized um, in kind of the, that moment, one, I'm a horrible, um, horrible boyfriend because I just like abandoned, <laughs> abandoned Jess in the middle of the backyard. And I'm a horrible father to my son because I had options. Right. And I'm like, everybody else can fend for themselves, but not my baby girl. She's right. four. I picked her up. But in my willingness to do good it turned out as a bad outcome. And it's like, sometimes you just don't have control. And I felt horrible and like shit. And she even said to me, she said, dad, 
she said, Dad, why did you hurt me? And I'm like, baby, it was an accident. And she goes, I don't like those fireworks. And I'm right. like, yeah, you know, the bad fireworks. And I'm thinking the whole time, she's like, I just got out of this. You know, maybe she thinks that's the fireworks that caused right, the issue. Right. But those kind of things happen. And, dude, I can't even remember how many times I've been hurt in my dad's face of, like, horror. And now I'm ref I reflect as, like, a, a kid looking at my dad whenever I got hurt and the helplessness he had. It's like that's going to happen in your journey as a parent. But as much as you can to prevent those things and staying focused, getting off your damn phone, get, ditch the booze, like focus on being a dad and being present. Because if you're not, I mean, my kids are four and they want to kill themselves all the time and they will. Right. If you let them, they will literally do what, I mean, I walked in the kitchen the other day and my son had a Montana knife. <laughs> and it was like one of the butcher awesome. ones, like the chef ones. Yeah, and he just yeah. he's like, dad, one, yeah. this is cool. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, son, don't don't move. <laughs> and, and I'm like, holy crap! It's like th that's Dude. just how they're they're programmed, man. Yeah, she the other day she she was uh, pulling something off off the counter, and the knife slipped off the counter and then stuck in the floor like right by her foot. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! But the funny thing is, so so not funny, but the uh, <sighs> the the turn of events here is like, so we get home, so I get her on a plane, fly her up. Then I turn right back around and fly back, and then I'm up there trying to pull it out of a little canyon area. She falls down in the window well, like scrapes, like just scrapes herself all the, all the, you know, scrapes all over her, you know, her legs from falling down because she was trying to save these two uh, baby quail. Oh. And uh, so we roll the vehicle, not a scratch on us. The next day, she falls down a window well, like trying to save two little birds and <laughs> scrapes her shit, scrapes herself all to hell. But I mean, like I, like being a dad, like 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 for me at least, you know, creating these moments. Like I had been looking so forward to this, creating this moment for my daughter, and like we were having these epic experiences, and like taking her out in the field and showing her, you know, my favorite places in the planet, which a lot of those places are are remote. And they're, they're, they're a little bit more dangerous. Yeah. And I'm not going to be that parent that raises my kid in a bubble. I mean, fuck, dude. I was talking to, uh, my neighbor was telling me about this, that there, there's like a, there's like a guy in the neighborhood that like his kids can't even go and play in the backyard without wearing a fucking helmet. And I was like, that is crazy. One, like that, that's just like one, that's crazy. Two, yeah. like, like my life you know, I, I have a higher risk tolerance than, than most people because obviously, you know, I think confidence, once again, can sometimes breed a bit of complacency, but I'm going to take my kids out and show them some incredible shit. Like they're, they're, they're not going to miss out mm. on seeing all these great things. Like my kids, you know, they're out starting fires and shooting their 22s and you know, being out in the woods, not wearing shoes, they're, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get scrapes and bruises. They're going to get banged up a little bit. And like, uh, I know that like, you know, jumping off cliffs into the river and like taking them out. There's a difference between letting them kind of like figure shit out and like mitigating against those things. And then being a little bit too complacent and enrolling in a Big truck. Yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah. So maybe you need to read this book that I wrote called Maybe prepared. that prepared. Well, if it was written to me. I could just add -E -E an A. I could add an A yeah. in there. Re written to me. Um, 
but it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like I, by far the only thing in my life, I, I should, I don't know if I should, I should phrase it like that, but it's, it's, uh, by far, this is the most fulfilling thing by far in my life. Like, you know, that, that saying by a country mile, I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to make it. Sounds cool though. What, like what's the difference between a country mile and an urban mile? I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Nor what's the difference between any miles, but you see yeah. the point of this, which is of like, dude, it is so, I don't know if I would have been prepared to have children earlier in my life, but I fucking sure as hell wish I would have had like the opportunity because if I could have had like five, six, 10 of them, man, I would like, same. They're awesome. I'm trying they're to have awesome. babies with, as many women as you can. <laughs> I see that. Wait, that came out way Wait, wrong. Hold on. <laughs> I, I want a ton, a crap ton of kids, man, because I love it. It's the most fulfilling thing in the world. And then it, I, I was talking about this on Mike Force, selfishly plugging Mike Force. Yeah, Mike Force. Um, go listen to Mike Force. I, I, I talked about how I grew up in a broken home, and most people it was have like that the experience. roof cracked. Or yeah, it was how a little. Was it was, it was, it was like the shingles on our mobile home weren't together. Got it. In our single what, When were your duplex. parents divorced? My what parents age? divorced when I was four. Okay. But my dad remarried, my mom remarried, and then both of them got went through another divorce. Oh, So wow. I was like, oh, you're my new mommy. Psych. No. And then it's another girl. Oh, you're right. my new mommy. Psych. And so I was like constantly very adaptive in this like traumatic situation as a kid. But I use that as a, like I go now and go, I could repair all that, and I'm right. I'm not great at it, especially as a spouse. I'm a horrible spouse because um, I, I weigh, recognizing your yeah, weaknesses. I is... suck as a spouse, but I'm very good as a father. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I pick my battles. I try. I'm trying harder, but it recalibrated everything in me because now I'm, I, I call it hardened focus. Right? If you were if if you were going through a stress shoot on a range, and you were feeling sorry for yourself, and I said your loved one is in that situation that you have to kick open that door and rescue your loved one. Mm. All of a sudden you, you go, Whoa, and you harden your focus. Cause you're like, Oh, this is serious. My brain's now taking this serious. Yeah. Cause it's not just calisthenics. Right. Well in life, when you have kids, it hardens your focus in life. Mm. Cause now you have to provide. Now you have to be squared away. Now you can't afford to be a shit bag. So all these things that you kind of like, you know, cluster effed, you're just like, ah, I can just get away with it. Now you can't. And now people think, well, this is a bad thing. Like if you, it's like, uh, you know, it's like becoming a, a spouse or building a relationship, building a healthy home, uh, establishing a family is a bad thing. It's like, oh, well, you need to, you know, take your time, girlfriend, go, go out there and explore the world. Like, what the hell does that mean? So go out there and whore around or go yeah. out there and just be reckless how about the best thing for you is having a stable situation with a cognitive and present person and then and then build that relationship, have children, and build like a happy home. Mm -hmm. Like why is that so bad? And then when you do that, all of a sudden it's like, well, it's, it's magic. All of a sudden I feel squared away because I have a hardened focus. And most people don't, man. I think that's the detriment to young men now is they don't have a hardened focus. They just what? have a yeah, hard they on. Yeah, it's well. I think I think most people do, right? It's like, like hard ons are yeah. I mean, mo well, fifty percent of the population, at least like fifty, at least fifty-two, maybe. No, I, I think you're right. I think I don't exactly know what's going on with, nor do I really care about the younger generation in the context yeah. of yes, I got gotcha. you. 
what I care about is like what's going on in my family, what's going on in my business, what's going on in my kids. Same. Like, like your but, friends. Yeah, my friends. Yeah. They're my peer group, but it's like the twenty something's like being a twenty something in America. Honestly, I was, I, was, I was actually reading or talking to somebody about this, uh, about some study on how kids are maturing much later in life and they don't quite understand the. Oh, you know what it was? It was around the college debt forgiveness thing, where. I was talking to somebody recently, actually a really squared away person, and they were talking about college debt forgiveness and how they don't quite understand why it's like our responsibility to pay for their college debts. And I was like, fuck, you, you're speaking my language. I don't understand it either. Their point was they think that there's a generation of people that that are maturing so much later that they have this mentality that it's their responsibility. I was like, wait a minute. So... How old were you when you joined the army? 17. You're 17. Mm -hmm. Did you go back and go to school after that? Or did you go to school when you were in the army? When I was in the army. Yeah. So Part time. So you 15 years to get a bachelor's degree. It took me, but my point in that is it's like, even at the age of 18, 19, 17 years old, we still had the cognitive ability to make decisions mm -hmm. that weren't going to lead ourselves to the point of which, okay, if you know that you're going to get an a bachelor's in um, art. Oh. Okay. Or, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, current events or something like that. That's, we'll, get, we'll call it a liberal arts bachelor's degree. Essentially, what you know you can, get, you can do is work in the service industry because that's what you'll be doing because there's not a technical skill that will yeah. allow you to advance and ultimately grow yourself professionally so you can make more money. Yeah. So because... Somebody decides that they're 18 to 24 on their pathway to a bachelor's degree that they're not going to develop a professional skill that will pay them a livable wage. Somehow that becomes our issue Yeah, as a taxpayer yeah. because it, the, the university industrial complex is, has siphoned off taxpayer dollars for yeah. decades and ultimately institutionalized people to believing that if they have a bachelor's degree in anything, it could be like, you know, paint fucking reading or something crazy. Yeah. That That's the magic somehow, Somehow that becomes yeah. like that, that, you know, guys like my dad that, you know, is 75 years old that, did, that hasn't had college debt for, you know, probably his entire fucking life. Somehow that becomes his responsibility because somebody made a bad decision and they graduated without an engineering degree or mm -hmm. without a computer science degree or without some degree that will allow them to live above 10 bucks an hour. I, I don't know, but... It, it's. It, I think it's really. It's important for us, just as a country, to figure out like, are we equally yoked or not? Because mm. I think when you feel like you're not equally yoked in this, that's when you start to breed resentment and animosity towards other people within your country, right? And I think there's a portion of our country right now that they work really fucking hard, yeah, to put food on their table, and they don't feel like they're equally. They feel like they're carrying a little bit more weight than the rest of them. Yeah. Right? What about? I mean, the guys who go to trade school, vocational That's schools, technical schools. How about all those guys, um, including members of my own family, paid their way through those processes to get those trades, to lay bricks, to build schools, to do the hard work that laborers do, to weld, to work on cars, to to drive a delivery, you know, uh, for FedEx or UPS, yeah. or to come in and you know roast coffee in a giant you know, giant coffee roaster, whatever that might be. 
doesn't have to be ours, but you're developing a trade, which is ultimately going to create the company you work for wealth and you, because if your value, if your value add, you will be compensated. It's just the way the whole fucking system works. Yeah. And somehow I think people have got it into their, 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 their philosophical existence that other people in our country like owe them because they have more. I don't know because I, I never believed that actually. I, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I never looked at somebody with like a big house driving down the road because I grew up basically in a trailer park too. It must be nice. Uh, must be nice. Or that, mo- or that fucking guy owes me something. No, I, I was like, Oh man, I want to be like that person someday. I want to have a nice house. I want to yeah. have, I want to have nice shit. That versus, should be the next podcast. It must be nice. Should be. It the must title. be nice. It must be nice. It must be nice. I don't even know what that means. I think what it is is it's when people see you doing better, yeah, or than than them. There's automatically a certain amount of resentment, which ultimately is probably where the uh, where socialism and the and the philosophy of socialism. Because, like, to be fair, if you look at like Marxism in general. And to overthrow the bourgeoisie, uh, in some ways, like we have it, an aristocracy or a bourgeoisie here, it's the political elite, right? So when you think about, like, yeah, there is a bit of resentment because, you know, there is no term limit, there is no like consequences for people's actions. So yeah, yeah you have a bit of resentment towards those people. You can make fifty million dollars as a politician. Yeah, and you can make economic decisions that ultimately affect your your independent or your 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 wealth. Like I don't know how that. That's a different, totally different podcast. Mike Glover, the author of Prepared, <laughs> everyone. Uh, thank you so much for stopping into the Black Rifle Studio. We we just can't can't thank you enough for wearing tiger stripe shirts and yeah. Supporting your company? Supporting my company. Thanks, Evan. Thank you so Appreciate much. Appreciate you so much. Mikel Glavier. <laughs> Black Rifle's exclusive coffee subscription is for the diehard coffee heads who want the best BRCC has to offer. Each roast is hand-selected from the best coffee farms around the globe. Members will get a new exotic micro-lot coffee each month sent with free shipping. Early access to new BRCC releases and exclusive discounts on over 100 partner brands, including Sig Sauer, Reptech, Silencer Central, Philcraft Survival, and more. Specialized recipe cards for every roast, plus unique stickers for your collection that match the artwork for each bag design. Join and reserve your spot in the ECS now, because these roasts are ultra limited, and when they are gone, they're gone for good. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!